0: Hallelujah. Uh, Good to be with you all. I hope uh, you're blessed. I hope the joy of the Lord's filling you right where you're at tonight. Uh, We uh, had a beautiful time here worshiping, and I trust that you did as well. Uh, It really is a uh, transition for all of us doing church like this. And again, I miss you all. I think the longer we go, I'm more, I've, I've learned to like appreciate what takes place on a Sundays and how much, you know, you just take for granted what we do so habitually Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and it's like, man, what a gift that we have. So uh, this is amazing. I'm so grateful to God for technology that can keep us connected, and uh, we've loved you guys reaching out uh, via the social media or email in response to the devotionals and anything that we're doing, and it just, it really does create a sense of connection uh, in these disconnected times that we're in. So uh, I'm going to read a uh, verse out of Philippians 3. Uh, you can stand if you'd like, but you don't have to because we're living room church tonight. Uh, but we can, we can stand in our hearts. And I'm going to read, uh, we'll start with verse 8, Philippians 3, 8. And so you can turn your scriptures there. We'll read the word of the Lord. And then I'm going to share the message that I feel like God has put on my heart for tonight. So this is Apostle Paul speaking, he says, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. So I, I, I want to contextualize. One of the things that I feel God's given me a gift of doing in my communication is contextualizing things that are happening and where God is moving in the midst of these things. And, you know, though this is a a season of slowing down, uh, God is very much at work. And I think he's actually picking up the pace of his movement in the earth. And you know, it, God is such a genius. So He, I don't believe, is in any way inhibited or restricted right now in this time, and He's doing a very thorough work. And you know, if you've been in this devotional theme, you know the deconstruction, and then we've last week talked about building a rhythm of life, and uh, going to continue in some different thoughts, but same theme in the devotions this coming week. Uh, but tonight, I, I, I want to kind of speak into that and really cast vision for what is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus and how do we attain that? How do we seek that and, and really contextualize how even building a rhythm of life and putting in the intentional work and the discipline and, and, and the time and the effort uh, and, and the sacrifice even it, it's because we are searching for something. We, we have a goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus and uh, God is doing a work like he's always doing a work but like I said two weeks ago this is a Cairo season like God is picking up the pace he is on the move we want to join him on the move so uh, I'm going to pray and then uh, we'll see what comes out of my mouth we just want Jesus to speak so Lord I thank you for your presence I thank you for your word I thank you for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus God, we thank you for the promises. We thank you that your spirit is moving unhindered in these days. And we thank you that you're making your bride ready for your purposes on this earth, God. And we say this, we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So uh, I I read Life Together earlier this year uh, by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And one of the things he starts the book out talking about uh, the idea of Christian community and how Christian community is something that that the unpersecuted regions of the world which have been like the Western world we we almost take for granted and we fail to recognize that you know the privilege we have week after week to gather together is just that it is a privilege it's not it's not experience. It's not something that all Christians on earth uh, are able to experience. And so for that reason, we should neither take it for granted or count it as if it was essential for us to live in, in covenant faithfulness to God. Right, Where two or more are gathered in his name, there he is among them. And the strange thing that's happening right now is that the COVID-19 disease has actually imposed on the Western church ...a model of church that is very congruent to the persecuted regions of the world. And it's imposed restrictions, meeting restrictions... Uh, for the threat of a disease instead of the threat of physical persecution and martyrdom. But I think for this reason, God is wanting to bridge the gap between the persecuted church, which is also consequently the most vibrant, multiplicative, powerful movement of Christianity on the planet today. He's wanting to bridge the gap, and he's, he's, he's imposing a structure, a governmental church structure on us in the West that is conducive for what I believe to be a more authentic, vibrant discipleship experience. So Jesus is discipling us right now, right? We can be really like upset, like, and I feel like a lot of us have been like, is this okay? We're not meeting on Sunday, something's wrong. And I just wanna tell you all, Jesus is not concerned. Jesus is not alarmed. Jesus is not freaking out. This is where the, this is the exact same way the most vibrant Christian communities on planet earth are worshiping every single week because their homes can get stormed. I know of places in the earth today where, where people have to get into cars if they wanna have church services, They pick up their friends in vehicles, turn on worship music, and drive around their city praying together because they're not allowed to meet in homes and they're not allowed to gather, even even small gatherings. So they fake like they're driving around their city so that they can experience fellowship together. So rest assured, the church is quite secure and Jesus is not concerned right now Jesus is trying to disciple his western bride into the vibrancy of true discipleship right so these are really exciting days and I would just want to encourage you the more you lean into what's happening in these days the more you're going to glean from it and uh, I think there's a lot of exciting implications that can come from that right so so community I just want to emphasize this because we all miss, you know, even before service, Jordan was like, I miss worshiping with my band. I was like, I know. I wish having the, con- I miss having the congregation laugh at my cheesy jokes. You know, it's like more encouraging, right? But I, I can still function as a worshiper and a disciple, and so can you, and so can Jordan, and-, and so can all of us, right? Jesus is not inhibited. The Spirit of God is like the wind. It can blow anywhere However, it wants, and he will. So community is a gift. We should not take it for granted, and I think we'll all have a new perspective on the public gathering when we get to come into that beautiful grace of God. But I believe we'll also come with a purified view of what that public gathering is all about. All right, so Christianity, in, in, in Jesus' government, it, it, it's a decentralized movement. Right? And Jesus is actually from heaven. There's a mandate right now on, the, on, the, on, on our church, on the Western world particularly. It's the context we're in. There's this decentralized movement that's taking place. Heaven is pushing the church outside the walls. Because one of the great constrictors of the move of God in this country is that the church has been relegated to four walls. We've, we've become too dependent on Sundays to experience vibrant spirituality. So right now, heaven, I'm telling you, Jesus is really, really comfortable with what's happening. We're all extremely uncomfortable. Jesus is very, very comfortable. He's simply decentralizing the movement of the Christian church, and he's trying to teach us something, right? So the early church, if we were to do a study, and I have done these, the early church was a people movement, which is why at Riverhouse we're always stressing this language, we're a people movement. Right? We're not a gathering, we're not a we're not a building, we're a people movement. And the early church was a people movement. Just by the pure numbers and the statistics alone, it's very evident that the large bulk of pastoral ministry took place by gifted lay ministers. Right? The the a number of bishops, so spiritual leaders, pastors to churches was very low. It was like one to thousands of believers, right? So it's clear that the bishops were not the, the, the main pastoral force on the early church. The early church was actually, it, there, there was pastoral ministry rising up from within it. The people were caring for one another. The gifts of the spirit were operating through one another. It was an anointed people movement. It was not this hierarchical structure that was overly dependent upon the five-fold ministry giftings. Though those functioned quite well, it, it, it was not the bulk of the ministry, right? And, and the replacement of these bishops and the church leadership was actually seamless. Like think Duke University, right? Half their team goes to the MBA each year. It doesn't really matter. The next, the next load of talent is just reload after reload after reload. The only difference is that Duke's reloading because people are college graduates or they're going to the MBA. The early church leaders had to reload due to martyrdom, right? So they were getting killed, but the reload was seamless, Right, and I'm, I'm, this, is, this is serious, this is real, because this shows that though they valued the public gathering, they did not, the focus of the public gathering was the presence of God. It was not the personality of the leadership. Their, their, their bench was deep, and leader after leader after leader could rise up because the ministry was being driven by the presence of God, because it was an anointed people movement. It was not this centralized thing where a few people had everything, and if those few people weren't doing what they were supposed to do, everything went to hell in a handbasket. That was not the early church. They were persecuted. They were pressed down. They were they were killed. They were martyred. It didn't matter, because it was a decentralized movement. When one branch was taken off, it grew back, because God was raising up people, because it wasn't about just an anointed group of people. It was the five Fold operating, equipping the church that was doing the work of ministry relentless in the face of persecution, right? So Jesus is really, really comfortable. I'm going to stress that tonight with what's taking place because he's putting us, there's a shift taking place, right? And for a decentralized movement to be effective, there's a shift of responsibility that has to take place where the, where the The responsibility of a vibrant spiritual life cannot rest on the shoulders of the pastor. It rests on the shoulders of every believer, right? The the quality of your and my relationship with God ultimately is on your shoulders and it's on my shoulders. It's, It's the people of God before God, right? And a decentralized movement stresses this. When it gets overly centralized, You can hide in the cracks, you can hide in the pews, you can become dependent upon the secret place of your spiritual leaders to feed you manna, you can become dependent on the voice of the anointed people who have gifts from God, and and we start relying on them in a way that's actually not intended by God. We start putting people into a mediated role instead of allowing them to just be windows that point us to Jesus, Right and decentralized. When times get de- when when persecution pushes the church from centralization to decentralization, it, it it's 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 exposing. You find out like, am I okay? Can I function vibrantly? Am I am I still living in a in a profound spiritual hunger, or am I like a chicken with my head cut off? What am I supposed to do right now? Right. So Jesus wants you to come before Him and to have this sacred communion where he is your Lord, where he is your shepherd, right? And that's not to devalue the five-fold ministry. It's simply to say that God's, the utmost, where the church is most successful all throughout church history, is decentralized movements, right? So the key, and this is what I want to talk, this is the introduction, so hope you're good. The key to effective decentralized governance is this. The spiritual depths must be mined by the common believer, right? This is the key. This is what I want to talk about tonight. The key for effective decentralized governance, right? Which is what God, I don't believe this is just about coronavirus time. I believe God's waking up the church to we need to break loose of the four walls of the Sunday gathering. We need to get out of the box Right, and the key to this decentralized movement where it is an anointed group of people that are doing the bulk of the ministry under the governance of fivefold leaders, all under the leadership of the Lord Jesus. The key is that the spiritual depths must be mined by the common believer. So I want to talk about the spiritual depths tonight. And I want to exhort you in, to mine them, to actually seek them out. And I want to give you some language that I think will help you do this. Right. So this is the truth about spiritual depth. No one drifts there. No one just kind of finds themselves arriving at a place of spiritual depth. Right? In the same way that you do not find gold, silver, or diamonds sitting like in the grass at the park, right? It's not low-hanging fruit, right? Precious metals, diamonds, they're forged in depth. And you have to mine into the earth. You have to dig. They excavate sometimes hundreds and hundreds of feet down into the earth because they're seeking a treasure, right? Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man was searching for it. He found it, sold everything that he had to buy that field because he wanted that treasure. There are treasures in the spiritual depths. There are places in the heart of Jesus that you and I, it's our inheritance to discover. We were created to know but we have to mine we actually have to intentionally search we got to dig through dirt we got to put in a lot of manual labor and energy and effort we have to mine into the depths if we want to find the treasures that the depths have All right and there's two components of this process two two experiences that you're going to have in your pursuit of spiritual depth and these are things that the lord's been making more clear to me uh, in the last year, years of my life, maybe more accentuated than the last year, but that is two words I want to talk about tonight. One is consolation and one is desolation, right? If, If we want to get down into the spiritual depths with Jesus, we will, by design, experience both consolation and desolation. So what do those words mean? You may not know. That's okay. Uh, I'm going to define them for you in practical terms. Consolation is another word for comfort, right? Consolation is simply all the good feelings when it comes to the presence of God. When we experience his joy, when you have, an, you know, like a revelation or an ecstatic experience, or you're overwhelmed with peace, right? Or you, you hear his voice, you sense his presence. It's any manifestation, felt manifestation of the presence of God that is what consolation is right consolation is desire awakened it feels inspiring uh it's the you know sometimes some people say i i have the goosebumps my hair stands up right you're sensing the pleasure that comes in god's presence that is what consolation is and consolation is when jesus is wooing our hearts into into places of love with him right he's he's uh He's building trust with us. He's loving us. He's pursuing us. He's lavishing us with his goodness. He's, you know, it's the delight of. His, he's, it's they're like kisses of grace. That's what consolation is, right? Desolation is a little different. It's the opposite, right? Desolation is the absence of God's felt presence. Right? You do not feel him. You do not sense him. You do not hear him. You do not see him. It's like he's gone. That's what desolation is. You're like, that sounds terrible. Yeah, it doesn't feel good. Especially the more you've experienced the consolation of God, the more the desolation of God feels like agony. Right? The more you've dwelled in the light of his presence, the more your uh, the, the darkness seems to feel like an endless chasm that you can't escape. But God, and this has been a journey for me of coming to God actually sends us both consolation and desolation, right? We see this throughout the narrative of the Song of Songs. You know, it starts with, you know, may he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. And you see this romance between the bride and the bridegroom. And the bridegroom's pursuing, come away with me. You've captivated me, right? But there's this, um, in the progression of this intimacy that you see building between the bride and the bridegroom, there's a point where it says, you know, my desire, the bride is speaking, it says, my desire was awakened for him, for Jesus, right? We've all experienced this. We've been in these, these times of consolation. We've been in these times when it's like, I'm intoxicated by peace. Like I am enamored by your love, right? And my desire is awakened for you. And then the bride says, and then he was gone. Then He vanished. I couldn't find him. I went to the streets. I went to the squares. I said, have you seen my beloved? Where is he? I can't find him. And you can sense in the language of the poetry, it's there's an agony of soul. Where is my beloved? Where is he gone? Desolation. God, this is Jesus' pursuit of us. He pursues us with consolation. He also pursues us By desolation. He pursues us sometimes by withdrawing. Because when he withdraws, it actually creates space for what's within us to intensify and to come out of us. Right? God is creative in everything he does, he creates actively, but he also creates by withdrawal sometimes. We see this in Genesis. He created for six days. And then he rested, he withdrew. And in his withdrawal, it created space for Adam to actually start creating, right? So God is, he's creative. He's a creative genius. So even in desolation, he's creating in this intimacy is his goal in the same way that he's trying to create intimacy in consolation. But we have to see with different perspective. We have to see through it and understand what God is trying to do. I want to bring just an example here. I'm trying to cast vision here again for what the upward call of God in Christ Jesus is. I want to cast vision for spiritual depths tonight. I've been reading through a book called The Little Flowers of St. Francis. And it's about St. Francis of Assisi. And it's a collection of miracle stories, his encounters. And then it also begins talking about some of the disciples and monks that followed in his footsteps even years after his death. And there's a passage that has absolutely wrecked me over the last couple of weeks. And it's about a man named Brother John of Alvernia. He's, he's now Saint John of Alvernia. And uh, there's a story that I'm going to read a piece of here right now that, that captures how God uses both consolation and desolation to draw us into the heights of his love, to actually, actually bring us into the upward call of God of, in, in Christ Jesus, right? And the story goes like this, is that uh, St. John, Brother John, he was given this grace. He, he basically had a, an encounter with God that lasted for three years. And in this, it was as if his soul was living in ecstasy. It was a consolation of extraordinary delight. And he, he, he experienced the manifest presence of God for three years, day and night, and night and day. The peace, the joy, the presence, the voice. It was consolation uh, beyond what I have ever experienced. And then Jesus vanished. And Jesus withdrew from him. And and, and he began to experience a deep desolation of soul. And the story goes that he was wandering through the woods for many days in the forest, weeping, weeping. Searching for Jesus. Searching. Why did you leave me? What's going on? Uh, you know, and I, I can't read the whole passage for its length. But he was desolate. He he was he was hungry. He was in agony. He was burdened. He, he was experiencing the pain of desolation. Oftentimes, when we experience desolation, our first response is that we want to look inside and get introspective. For me, this is just being honest. When I experience desolation, you know, when I experience anxiety, or I start experiencing, you know, pain or just whatever's going on, that that, that weight, that darkness, whatever it is, I start going like, what did I do wrong? Where did I sin? Where did I mess up? How did I fail you, God? Like, what's going on? Something must be wrong. Right? That's a very natural response to desolation. And, you know, if, if we do sin, you know, well, then maybe there's places of repentance. But I've had many, many dozens of times when I've been in a deep desolation of soul. But it is not because of a lack of obedience or, or a, 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 a violent sin against God. But it's actually because of favor. But it doesn't feel like it's because of favor. Right? And this, I'm stressing this tonight because I believe many people forego the depths that Jesus is trying to bring them to because we don't know how to recognize desolation for what it is. Right? We, we, we instead of pressing into desolation, we try to go out. We try to look back out and we try to find comfort. Right? But Brother John, he's in the forest. He's searching for his beloved. Like the bride in Song of Songs, she's going, have you seen my beloved? Have you seen him? Where is he? Where can I find him? says, if you see him, tell him I'm lovesick. If you see him, tell him I'm searching for him. We have two choices when we're experiencing desolation. We can Press in and embrace the pain and the agony and search with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind for the Lord Jesus, the beloved of our soul. Or we can look out. We can turn from the inside and we can start looking to the outside and we can start looking to all the false comforters and all the other lovers will start speaking to us. They will start wooing us, come out to me. I'll give you instant gratification. I will take away your anxiety. I will take away this desolation. I will never leave you or forsake you. We start hearing all these false lovers, come away with me. Right? But in desolation, this is the truth. The reason Jesus leaves us, the reason He withdraws, is because in consolation, we're experiencing pleasure. It's all sunshine and roses. It's all good, it's all beautiful. right? But it's in times of desolation. That though Jesus isn't speaking, he is silently asking the question in his own heart. He's intently gazing at us in these times of desolation, seeing, do you love me? He wants to see when there's no pleasure, when it doesn't feel amazing, when, it, when, it, when there's not blessings raining in left and right. Do you still choose me? Do you still love me? Do you still want me, or do you just want my pleasure? Do you just want my blessings? Do you just want the good? Right? What did Paul pray? I wanna know you in your death and your resurrection. I wanna carry my cross. I wanna be conformed. I don't care what it costs. I want you, is what Paul's praying. And in times of desolation, Even more so than in times of consolation, right? Consolation establishes trust. We're wooed by him. But in desolation, it is a day of decision. Who do you love? Which lover do you choose? And St. John of Alvernia, he's walking through the forest. And it says that as he's walking, he sees Jesus. Jesus appears to him on the path. And he runs to Jesus, falls at his feet, says, Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me in my desolation. Please comfort me. I'm nothing without you. He prays this eloquent prayer. And Jesus looks at him stoically, turns, and walks away. Desolation. He's creating by withdrawal. He says that Brother John got up, ran after him, and fell at his feet again and said, Please don't leave me. And begs him again, prays with all his heart, please comfort me. And Jesus looks at him stoically, turns and walks away, silently without speaking. And a third time, he gets up, runs to Jesus. And as he runs, I'm going to pick up the passage. It says, then brother John followed him with great fervor. And when he came to him, Christ the blessed one turned around. And looking at him most sweetly, he opened his holy and merciful arms and embraced him. And when he opened his arms, Brother John saw rays of light come from his holy bosom, which lighted up the entire forest, as well as his own soul and body. Then Brother John knelt down at the feet of Christ, who, as he had given his feet to Mary Magdalene to kiss He gave them to Brother John. And then Brother John, taking them with great reverence, bathed his feet in his tears like another Magdalene, saying most devoutly, I pray you, my Lord, don't look at my sins, but by your holy passion and by the precious blood which you have shed, awaken my soul to the grace of your love. For you've commanded us to love you with all our heart and all our strength. And this commandment no one can fulfill without your help. Help me then, beloved son of God, that I may love you with all my heart and all my strength. And as brother John was praying at the feet of Christ, his prayer was granted. And the flame of divine love, which he had lost, was restored to him. And he felt himself greatly comforted. Then knowing that the gift of divine grace had been restored to him, he began to return thanks to Christ, the blessed one, and devoutly kiss his feet. Then standing up and looking at the Savior's face, Jesus gave him his holy hands to kiss. And having kissed them, Brother John approached the bosom of Christ and embraced him. And Christ, the blessed one, received him in his arms And his brother John embraced the Savior and was embraced by the Savior. The air was filled with the sweetest perfumes, so sweet that no perfume in the world could be compared with them. There's a depth... That you and I have not tasted. There is a, a treasure to be mined in the depths of Jesus Christ that is your and my birthright, our inheritance. But it has to be mined, it has to be sought after, it has to be pursued. And the consolations that we receive from his presence are actually equipping and preparing us to have the fortitude and the discipline and the faith to push into the desolations so that we can embrace the Savior and be embraced by the Savior and know his love and be filled with his fullness. That we would know him like Paul knew him, like brother John of Alvernia knew him. Jesus is yearning for his bride to know him and the spiritual depths are not for the chosen few They are not for the specially graced. They are not for the monks and the priest and the prophets. The spiritual depths are for all. The spiritual depths are the birthright and the inheritance of the church. This is eternal life, that you would know him. That you would know him. That you would know him. And the key to a decentralized church movement that sweeps the world with the presence and the mercy and the love and the grace of Jesus is that the spiritual depths are known by the common man and the common woman. That is how we become the anointed force of the love of God that cannot be stopped. And the spiritual depths are something that you can access with your God morning by morning where his mercies are new. So yes, we're creating this rhythm of life, which is essentially a disciplined partnership with Jesus that says, whether I experience consolation or desolation, inspiration or no emotion at all, right? Ecstasy or agony. I'm going to waste my time in worship. I'm going to worship you in every place, in every way, in every relationship, with every dollar, in every decision. I'm going to worship you. That's what a rhythm of life is. We're trying to, a wholehearted yes to saying, I want to love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. All right, it's a contract that says, this is what I'm going to do no matter what I feel. There's an amazing grace available in these days. And the upward call of Christ Jesus is for you. It's for you. There is more than what you've tasted. There is more than what you've seen. And though you cannot go to church on Sunday, let not Moses speak to me, but speak to me yourself, God. Send not a prophet to prophesy to me. Speak to me yourself, Jesus. Speak to me yourself. Let us join with Samuel and say, Lord, your servant is listening here I am not just in the mornings not just in the afternoons not just in the evenings but in your relationships in your working in your finances whatever it is say God show me show me how I can seek you with my whole heart and love you completely I sense the grace and the presence of Jesus. And I sense that he's bringing consolation and desolation tonight to many of you. Embrace it. Cherish it. Dan Bohai preached three weeks ago. And he talked about getting a revelation in our spirit. He said when you get a revelation in your soul, it's emotionally based. Right. So when the emotions fluctuate, you'll no longer have the fortitude to persevere. Right? But you see examples of, of you know, all the disciples, Paul, right? These men, they gave themselves to the point that it cost them their comfort, it cost them their financial security, it cost them, you know, it cost them everything. It cost them their lives. They were martyred. But they had a revelation in their spirit. Paul had a revelation in his spirit. He knew that when he went to Jerusalem, he was going to be kidnapped. Not kidnapped, but he was going to be taken custody and eventually martyred. He had told Ephesus, the Ephesian church, on the way to Jerusalem, I'm never going to see your face again. Right? And he willingly, they came and prophesied to him and said, you're going to be bound if you go to Jerusalem. And he said, I don't care. Because he had a revelation in his spirit that I will obey Jesus and I will love him with everything that's within me. When the church embodies that type of discipleship, when there is a conviction not in our soul, not in an inspired song we sing on a Sunday when we're all together, Right? But in a spirit revelation that says, I will love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I will worship you with every minute of every day. You are my only good. When there's a revelation that grips, when we see the upward call, when we see the prize of fellowship, when we can see into the depths and we see that the treasure that's waiting to be mined, by our pursuit, in our spirit. There is nothing that will stop us. And I I have no judgment when I say this, but the American church is so blind, we don't even realize how lukewarm we are. We've been so deaf, we don't even realize how far we've drifted from what the fire of first love actually looks like. We're living in a a world where the church is in decline because the church has lost the conviction. It's lost that spirit revelation to live as Christ and to die as gain. May we mine down and find that tenacity once more may we find and touch what the disciples and men and women throughout the centuries found that said I don't care if it cost me every dollar in my bank account I don't care if it cost me my comfort I don't care if it cost me whatever I don't care it's Jesus that I want when the church gets that type of revelation in her spirit when the bride gets so full of love that says I don't care if you're consoling me or if you've vanished, I will love you faithfully. We'll see revival. I believe Jesus is waiting on His bride to be the move of God. That's what he's waiting for. We have everything we need to see a move of God inside of us. The kingdom of God is inside of you. The kingdom of God is at hand. He's not stressed that we're not meeting on Sundays. What's concerned the heart of Jesus is that we've been meeting Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. But we still have no true conviction that changes the way we live the rest of our time. May it not be any longer. I tell you the truth, I have no desire for this to be quick and for us to come back to church next week because I believe what's taking place is good. It is for our good. Our earthly fathers discipline us as they see fit, but God, who is holy and sovereign, disciplines us for our good. And God is disciplining us. He's trying to build us up and edify His church to out of lukewarmness, out of mediocrity, out of this—all these our own comforts and all we need. We're just a a bride of consolation. I just need to feel good, and then I'll be faithful. He is raising up a warrior bride. He's raising up a bride who's a laid-down lover and fit for the king of kings. He's raising up a bride that says, give me the cross if I can have you. I'll take it all. He's raising up a bride of purity. He's raising up a bride of faithfulness, of generosity, of humility, of true joy in all circumstances. A bride of a pure tongue that speaks only a fountain of blessing. A bride of, of, of integrity. A bride whose yes is yes and no is no. He is raising up a bride that can walk down an aisle and face the holy sovereign Lord Jesus and say, here I am. Your life is now matured in me. Come and see the fruit of your life that you laid down abounding in me. That is our highest aim. Your 401k from the eyes of eternity means nothing. Your, your financial security from heaven's perspective means nothing. right? God values those things. We, we want to build legacy here. But I'm talking about we're going to be in heaven and we will never give another thought to our 401k again. When we see Jesus, we will never think about the petty little things that we waste our stress and energy and effort and anxiety on. We won't. We will not think of those things when we're in heaven. And I'm not advocating that we deny these things. I'm advocating that we need to be gripped with a spirit conviction that sees past these things and sees Jesus so that we are so compelled. We'll live our lives as living martyrs. The key to a decentralized church movement that sweeps the world is the spiritual depths being mined by the common believer. I consider myself a common believer. I consider you all common believers. And God has depths for you. God wants to encounter you. Jesus wants to reveal his glory to you. He wants to show you his face. He wants to embrace you in his arms. He wants you to embrace him. He wants you to know him. Everything you're doing, the mundane little simple things, reading your scriptures, spending time in silence, acts of generosity, fellowship, healthy eating exercise, caring for your temple, limiting social media consumption, acting in creativity, putting others before you, right? These little principles. This is what it looks like to partner with God. Don't be afraid to Expend energy and effort. Don't be afraid to do things that you don't feel like doing. That's not being religious. That's being faithful. You're not trying to earn this. We're trying to position ourselves to receive this. So bend, bend under the massive weight of the love of Jesus. And let it thoroughly cleanse and do a work to prepare you to meet Jesus on an ordinary path, in an ordinary place, but to behold the King of Kings. I'm going to close with this. I wasn't planning on sharing it, but right as we were starting River House, I was uh, actually working on my master's. I was writing an essay and I took a break, listened to a worship song. And as I was worshiping, I was in a coffee shop. I began to have just an encounter with God. And I had this, uh, this vision. And I was on Table Rock in the vision. And I saw myself like I was this wild Mustang. And I was kind of rearing like this, you know, picture of power and passion. And it was like I was, you know, praying like, you know, for revival in the world, in our land, in our city. And in the vision, I was watching myself like this wild Mustang, and then Jesus came, and he was clad very uh, humbly, like a carpenter. And I was kind of watching the vision, and and he kind of approached me and then just hopped on my back, and it kind of startled me. I was like, whoa. And then the vision played out, and he started riding me down Table Rock and then down into the city of Boise. And the lower that we started getting, With each step, instead of this wild, powerful Mustang, I started transforming into more and more into just a donkey. And with each step lower, he went from this humble carpenter to being shod in the glory and the splendor of a king with a crown and royal robe. And we got down into 8th Street, right in downtown Boise. And I was this little donkey and he was the glorified king and I saw people started putting their their coats on the ground and looking up from the bars and the restaurant saying Hosanna Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and honestly as I was watching it I was feeling insecure I was like oh don't look at me I'm this little donkey and and then The vision ended, and I've been thinking about this, it's been four years, almost exactly four years since I had this experience, but I felt led to share that tonight because God doesn't need us to have these personal acts of greatness and this great passion and power and feel like we're this spiritual athlete. God just needs a donkey. He just needs a humble, obedient, faithful servant. That's who he chooses. That's what he chose to ride into Jerusalem. He uses ordinary jars of clay. Obedient in the little things is all that Jesus requires to be a vessel that his glory can pour forth from. You do not need to be some great spiritual athlete who prays eloquent prayers and preaches profound sermons with great theological truth. Those are great. God gives some those gifts to people. But the only thing that he needs is your willingness. The only thing he needs is your obedience. Day after day in the little things, I'm gonna seek you first. I'm gonna wake up. I'm going to go to bed on time so that I can wake up on time to seek your face first. I'm going to be faithful in my finances. I'm going to seek you in my decisions. I'm going to be faithful in my relationships. When I fail, I'm going to humble myself and repent. I'm going to fall forward. I'm going to get back up. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep being faithful. I'm going to keep seeking you. He sees the heart. And you have what it takes to be an ordinary little donkey. And so do I. And he is the manifest king of glory. To get to this place, beholding him, mining out the depths, finding that treasure, you have to embrace desolation and consolation and view them both as gifts from God. And not just accept desolation when it comes, but to say, send it, Lord, to know you, in your death, to know you in your resurrection. I just want to know you. So Father God, I thank you for what you're doing in this time. I thank you for the weight of your glory. I thank you, God, that you are discipling your church into the fullness of what you've called her to be. And I pray tonight, God, that for a spirit revelation to grip your bride. Let her, let us see that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us see the joy that you have in store for us. Let us see, God, what you see. We trust you to do your work, and we thank you for extraordinary grace and extraordinary days. God, a Cairo season where you are doing months, if not years worth of work in us in short amount of time. Do your work thoroughly and disciple us, God, into the spiritual depths. I pray grace on each one of us, God, to mine the spiritual depths so that we can become the people movement, the decentralized, anointed move of God governed by the Spirit that transforms the earth and turns it upside down. God, may it be said of Riverhouse Church, just like they said of the disciples, these are the men who have turned the whole world upside down. May they say of our church, this is the family. This is that anointed family that has turned the whole world upside down. We pray this all in Jesus' name. If you need prayer, someone to reach out to you, process with you, intercede with you, speak into you. Uh, You can reach out via our prayer team, but I encourage you even before you do that, go to God yourself in the little acts of faithfulness and Jesus will be faithful to you. God bless you. I love you all. I long to see you face to face. I long to be with you again, Uh, but I long even more for a bride of purity that is living as the anointed, mature, humble, holy bride that Jesus paid his life for. And that is who you are. So God bless you. I exhort you, go after him with everything that's in you. And may we come back together much looking much more like him. Amen. All right. God bless you all. And we will see you tomorrow as we continue the devotional series. uh, First thing in the morning. And uh, we look forward to worshiping with you next Sunday night for our Easter celebration. Good night, all.